You're listening to the podcast of Antioch East Baptist Church in Magnolia, Arkansas. This is Pastor Ron Owen. We're so glad that you've joined us today. If you have any comments or inquiries, you can send those to us at aebc123 at me.com. I want you to look at Romans 10. And we're going to begin reading in, well, let's start with verse 5. We've already preached 5 through 13, but let's just look at verse 5. And I'll let you remain seated because we're going to be reading quite a bit. But as we reverence the reading of God's Word, uh, by the way, I am going to be using the LSB, the Legacy Standard Bible, which is an update of the NASB. I love it. I love this translation. And so this is what it says. For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law, the man who does these things shall live by them. In other words, he's saying if you want to be saved by the law, you've got to keep every one of them. The man who does these things shall live by them, but the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart, who will go up to heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will go down into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. In other words, don't go on some great odyssey to try to find Christ. Look, verse 8, but what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we we are preaching. Salvation is not by works of righteousness. Salvation is not by works of merit. Salvation is by believing in Christ. Trusting in, relying on, clinging to. It's more than just a mental belief. It's a heart belief that takes Him as Lord and Savior. Uh, Look at verse 9. And if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. I hear people all the time, you don't have to be a fanatic to be a Christian. That's not true. That's not true. Some people are more fanatic about their ball team than they are about Christ. And Jesus says to be one of his, well, actually what happens when you get saved, you become a fanatic for Christ because you start telling everybody with your mouth and you believe in your heart. Jesus becomes number one in your life and the passion of your soul. Sadly, that doesn't describe a lot of Baptists, which is worrisome. That Jesus is number one in your life and the kingdom of God. So if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe your heart God is raised from the dead, you shall be saved. That's real faith. Faith that gives you new birth, that changes your life. Verse 10, for with the heart man believes, leading to righteousness, that is, you receive the righteousness of Christ, and with the mouth, confession, leading to salvation. For the Scripture says, whoever believes upon Him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord uh, is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on Him. For whosoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Will be saved. 
Now, this is where our text is for the next couple of weeks at least. It says, however, they did not all heed the good news for Isaiah says, now notice that Isaiah says, comma, quote, Lord who has believed our report, question mark, end quotes. So faith comes through hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. But I say they have, uh, but I say, have they never heard? On the contrary, they have. Their voice has gone out, quote, by the way, quote, their voice has gone out unto all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I say, did Israel not know? First, Moses says, quote, I will make you jealous by that which is not a nation. By a nation without understanding, I will anger you. And Isaiah, end of quote, Isaiah is very bold and says, quote, I was found by those who did not seek me. I became manifest to those who did not ask for me. But as for Israel, he says, all day long, I have stretched out my hand, hands to a disobedient and obstinate people people, end quote. So, so what you have here, look at verse 14. How then will they call upon him who they have not believed? What's right after the D and believed? What? Question, yeah, come on. I asked, go ahead. Question mark, all right. How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? Question mark, okay. And how will they hear without a preacher? Question mark. There you go. And how will they preach unless they be sent? Question mark. Now this again, although you got to look at it a little bit, again, as like Paul does, he puts up these, these hypothetical questions from an uh, unknown inquirer. And then he, he debates him, basically is what he does. And what he is doing here is he's setting up... You know, okay, so you got to believe. Well, how are they going to believe him they've not heard? I mean, these are obvious things. And he goes on to show that they have heard. They have seen it. They have light of, of, of uh, the gospel. And I'll get into that later. And then what he does is gives a series. He is expositionally preaching from the Old Testament. The majority of our text scriptures are texts from the Old Testament, right? Okay, and we're going to get into all that and explain that next week, beginning next week. But I want you just, just, man, I'm telling you, this is the most unprepared you've ever seen me. It's not because I'm lazy, it's because I wanted this to be fresh. And I, I want you to get the heart of this. Turn, if you would, to Isaiah 52. Isaiah 52. Okay? And keep your Bibles open, and we're studying the Word of God, and I want to sit. Now, by the way, let me tell you something. You don't, if you want to, why don't y'all just look up here, unless you want to follow in your Bible, because I have the LSB on this. It's a Legacy Standard Bible, and... Uh, uh, that's that's it on the board. If you want to follow along, this is what I'll be reading right here. Okay, um, so I, I, and I may jump around, Riley. So just just uh, I'll let you know what I'm doing, and I may not. I may just read right on through. So um, look at verse six of uh, Isaiah 52. It says, therefore, my people shall know my name. Therefore, in that day, I am the one who is speaking 
here I am. Now Isaiah is speaking to a people of ca in captivity and uh, different things uh, are fixing to go into captivity. And uh, he uh, he's, uh, you know preaches against the sinfulness of Israel. He talks about the judgment of God. Matter of fact, keep your place there and go to chapter 6. This is uh, Isaiah 6. Uh, don't, don't worry about it, Riley. You just stay right there. I'm going to read this. Uh, Isaiah... 6 and uh, in the year of King Uzziah's death I saw the Lord sitting on his throne high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple and seraphim stood above him each having six wings with two he covered his face with two he covered his feet and with two he flew and the one cried out to another and said holy 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 is Yahweh of hosts the whole earth is full of his glory you are familiar with this chapter aren't you I mean this is awesome stuff and Isaiah is sitting there and he's just going like this with his jaw open and he's and finally he speaks he says woe is me for I'm a man of unclean lips I dwell in the midst of people with unclean lips why because my eyes have seen the Lord of hosts I mean, I tell you, most of my time is spent trying to get people to see God for who He is because I know if I can get you to see God for who He is, you'll see yourself for who you are. And you'll say, woe is me. We'll say, woe is me. And we'll repent. And we will see the grace of God and rejoice in His salvation that this holy God would be merciful to these terrible sinners. Right? Isaiah did that. And look at verse... Uh, uh, I'm under the wrong one. Uh, and, and then verse 6, Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar. Now, I remember, I remember as a kid, I did not understand this part. How can coals from off some unknown altar, I thought, as a kid, I thought only the blood of Christ could cleanse sin. You know, well, listen to this. A burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. This was that small altar that was before the Holy of Holies. Well, what happens is the priest would come in and he would wipe the blood. The incense would be poured on this thing or some ashes be taken from it after blood had been sprinkled on it and put on the horns. And this is the first part of the sacrifice for sin as the blood was applied to the horns and put on the coals and the coals were taken and then put in a pan. The, the, he would put incense on it and he'd go into the Holy of Holies and it would fill the Holy of Holies so he wouldn't die when he saw the glory of God and he'd do his work. So this is, he goes and he takes, this is the real one. This is not the symbolic one in the tabernacle or the temple. This is the one literally before the throne of God. And it's symbolic because we know he sees it in a vision. So how would these coals forgive sin? Because in, symb in symbology here, what it is, is the throne of God where the blood of Christ has been applied. Therefore, Isaiah could have his sins forgiven. That's why he said this is touch your lips, your sins are forgiven because the blood of the Lamb of God is on them. Hallelujah. I didn't mean to get in all this, but sure enough is good. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Verse 7, your iniquity is taken away and your sins atoned for. Hallelujah. Well, what would you think of your Isaiah? 
Hallelujah. Then I heard a voice from the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I just see Horshack. How many of y'all know what I'm talking about? Horshack. That's all I ever see when I get to this point. And Isaiah's going, Ooh, 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 me. I'll do it for you. I'll go for you. Pick me. And he gets all excited. I know that these folks are excited about getting in Zambia and preaching and seeing people get saved. Amen. I got excited this morning getting ready to preach this morning, hoping people would get saved. I do that every Sunday, hoping people get saved and lives would be changed. And I'm sure Isaiah was too. Now keep reading. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying to him, and he said, go, uh, he said, and here I am, send me. Isaiah said that. And then listen, hear this. And he said, go and tell this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not know. Render the hearts of this people insensitive, their ears dull, their eyes dim, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and return and be healed. I thought that's what we wanted, God. And God says, no, I've cursed these people. They've broken my covenant. They've broken my laws. I'm fed up with the majority of them, and I'm going to do something different. And I want you to go preach a message, although it sounds like hope, it'll be a message of judgment because not a one of them will truly understand it. And that's what's happening in Romans 10. Is the curse of God. This is why Israel is not coming to their Messiah. God has hidden him from their understanding. Keep reading. Render the hearts of this people insensitive, their ears dull and their eyes dim. Look, look at verse 11. Then I said, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you say, if, if God were to tell y'all going to Zambia, not one person's going to get saved. Wouldn't you say, well, how long? My goodness, Lord, if you want me, I, I, I've seen all these great things and all what. Listen, all God, God doesn't want you to win Magnolia to the Lord. God doesn't want you to win souls to the Lord. He wants you to preach the gospel. He does the saving. He's the one that decides and saves who he wants to. And obedience is us opening our mouth and preaching unto them, Jesus, you can't save a soul. You can't change a heart. That's the work of God. But we pray, oh God, don't make me an Isaiah. Please, oh God, give me the ministry of Paul. Give me souls for my labor. And I think God promises that God, he will give us souls for our labor. But can you imagine Isaiah? Then I said, how long? And he said, until the cities are devastated and without inhabitants, houses are without people and the land is devastated to desolation. And Yahweh has removed men far away and forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. Now listen, verse 13. Yet there will be a tenth portion in it and it will again be subject to burning like a terebinth or like an oak tree whose stump remains when it is felled, when it is cut down, the holy seed is in its stump. This is called the remnant that we hear about all through the Old Testament and what he's going to be talking about in Romans 10 or 11. And we'll get to that later. God is always going to have a people out of the land of Israel, out of the Jewish nation. He's always going to have a people. Just a tenth. 
But they still today, the hardest people we know, we tried to do some things in Israel and there's just no fruit out of it. They're hard to win to Jesus. But that's what's happened. They're cursed. Now turn back over, if you would, to Isaiah 52, verse 6. Therefore my people shall know my name. Therefore in the day I am one, uh, the day that uh, in that day I am the one who is speaking, here I am. How lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who proclaims good news. This is one of the verses quoted in uh, Romans 10. Who announces peace and proclaims good news of good things, who announces salvation and says to Zion, your God reigns. Now I want you to skip down for time's sake and look at verse 13. Oh, this is so interesting. You really need to see these verses before you get into Isaiah 53. Behold, my servant will prosper. And all Israel claps their hands. Talking about the Messiah. He's going to prosper. He will be high and lifted up and greatly exalted. Amen. Hallelujah, the Jews all say. Praise God. He will be highly exalted. Just as many were appalled at you, my people, so his appearance was marred more than any man. And all the Jews go, what? What? Say that again, Isaiah. And his form marred more than the sun. Uh, Let me see. Just as many were appalled at you, so his appearance was marred more than any man. And his form more than the sons of men. You know, they get confused right here. They don't know exactly what it means. And then, verse 15, now listen. And thus he will sprinkle many nations. And then they get angry. How dare you? Our God is our God, not the Gentiles' God. We're his special people. How dare you? He'll sprinkle many nations. That's a promise for us and our people. Let the dirty dogs of the Gentiles go to hell. This was the, this was the attitude of the Jews in that day and also in the days of Christ. Us four and no more. We're the special people, and they were a special people. A special people that God told them that part of the covenant was they would be a blessing to all nations. Y'all with me? But they didn't want to be a blessing to all nations. They wanted it all to themselves. They thought they were the only holy people in the world. Thus he will sprinkle many nations. Now this is a, a, a reference to a sacrifice where the blood was sprinkled on the altar and sprinkled on everywhere. It was just sprinkled. And it was a sign of cleansing with the blood of the sacrifice. And here he says he will sprinkle and cleanse and save many nations. Kings will shut their mouths on his account of him. And what had not been told them, they will see. They're going to understand. And what they had not heard, they will understand. And the Jews, and then he goes on more to even confuse them. One of the greatest chapters in all the Bible, certainly, most likely, the greatest chapter, uh, you know, to me, I guess, I shouldn't be, uh, Isaiah 53. 
Now let's go. What time we got here? Oh, we're good. Who has believed our report? Who's believed our report? And if you go to Romans 10, who's believing the report? Who is it? Who's believing the report in Romans 10 and 11? Okay, Gentiles. Gentiles. Us, those of us that are not Jews. They're the ones that come to God now and Christ now. And the Jews, nearly 2% of Jews are considering themselves Christian. And to whom has the arm of Yahweh been revealed? We know that the prophecy of this is revealed to all people. For he grew up before him like a tender shoot. And like a root out of the parched ground, he has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should desire him. What does that mean? That means the Messiah is coming, that Jesus came as a lowly servant. And he was just like us. He didn't glow. He didn't have a halo when he walked around, or even as a little baby in the swaddling clothes, like the pictures like to show. And certainly Mary didn't have a halo. She was a sinner. She was a sinner who needed salvation just like you and me. He was despised and forsaken of men. And the Jews are saying, hogwash, Isaiah. He's going to be a great ruler and he's coming and he's going to overtake our enemies. And he's going to rule and reign on this earth and we will reign with him and all nations will be put down. That's what they were looking for. That's what they wanted. But that's not what he said. He was a despised, forsaken of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised and we did not esteem him. And they said, that's impossible. When the Messiah's come, we will esteem him. We will raise him up on on, uh, uh, beams and we will carry him on a throne and to the temple. And he'll sit on the throne of David. That's what they thought. But see, that was not the plan of God or the message of God that was happening. And when Jesus came a different way, what did the Jews do? What did the Jews do? Cried, crucify Him. Crucify Him. Crowds that before were laying down palm branches in His way are now crying, kill Him! Give us Barabbas, that murderer and thief. Let him become a good citizen now, but take and crucify the Lamb of God who healed all our diseases. Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. See, they, they thought they did it, but actually this is all in the plan of God. And Jesus didn't take the wrath of the Romans. He didn't take the wrath of the Jews. Jesus was taking the wrath of God Almighty for you and for me. Verse 5, but he was pierced through for our transgressions and he was crushed for our iniquities and the chastising for our peace fell upon him and by his wounds or stripes we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned to his own way, but Yahweh has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. If this doesn't move you folks, you need to be saved. You need to be born again. That your sin and mine was laid upon the precious, sinless Son of God. 
Yahweh has caused the iniquity of us all to fall upon him. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. In other words, he willingly went through us so that you and I could be saved. And like a sheep that was silent before a shearer, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away as for his generation who considered... Who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living, that for the transgression of my people, striking was due to him. So his grave was assigned with the wicked man, yet he was with the rich in his death, because he has done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. But Yahweh, now listen, listen to this. Boy, that seems like a bad news. That seems like something God's plan ain't working. No, my friend, that was all of God's plan. And I'm going to tell you something. It's effective. Look at verse 10. But Yahweh was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If you would place his soul as a guilt offering, he will see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the good pleasure of Yahweh will succeed in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By the knowledge of my righteous one, my servant will justify many. And that's just not talking about the Jews. That means I believe they're talking about many nations because that is the beginning of the context. He will sprinkle. He will save. He will birth many people out of many nations. As a result of things, so let me see, uh, verse 11. As a result of his anguish of his soul, he will see and, it, and be satisfied. God's not up in heaven going, oh, I don't think this is going to work. I think we're going to lose some. No, my friend, his people are coming. Uh, he will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. Verse 12, therefore I will divide with him a portion with the many. And he will divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. Hey, let me tell you what you are at best this morning. You're a transgressor. At worst, you're a, you're a transgressor. And at best, you have been forgiven by trusting in, relying on, clinging to the work of Christ on the cross and the empty tomb. But some of you here today, maybe you don't know Christ in a saving way. You've never truly trusted in Him. I tell you today, come to, come to Him. He's interceded for the transgressors. So today, if you say, I need an, an intercessor for my sin, he's the only way. Come to him and do as the Bible says in our text. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And this is not something just for the Jews. Hallelujah. Thank God. But it is something that God has graciously given to a people that were not his people, you and me. Praise God for that today.